Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Will 2024 be the year of Nico? Got off to a fast start in the Citrus Bowl, Tennessee routed Iowa, and you couldn't have scripted a better first career start for Nico Iamaliava, and it's all Nico all the time heading into the offseason. Welcome into the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinels, Adam Sparks and John Adams. And guys, I, I, I got to say, so I was out in California covering the Rose Bowl playoff game. Uh, Adam, I know you were on hand for the Citrus Bowl. John, I know you were covering it as well. And as I was sort of following along with the coverage from afar, I just thought, oh boy. I mean, Nico, if there was any hopes of like containing the hype for next season, I mean, this bowl game just blew that out of the water, right? I mean, which is ultimately a good thing, I think. It means he played well, means uh, he obviously developed throughout the course of his redshirt freshman season, but now expectations are are soaring. For Nico, I even saw a headline uh, on another company's site recently was how many Heisman trophies will uh, <laughs> will Nico win? Uh, Adam, let's start with with you. Could this debut have gone much better for Nico? And what stood out to you about it? Yeah, I saw the same poll that you did, and if if you look back that poll online, how many Heisman's was I, I think in the second quarter. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I got a, I got a, the same question from a number of good natured non Tennessee fans that I know, like uh, college football fans of other teams. They all had the same question uh, in the twenty four hours after the Citrus Bowl, which was, I, I don't get it. Explain it to me. Like, I saw the game. The guy looked like he ran the ball well. He threw it well at times. It was a boring game. But, like, what am I missing? Why Why is everybody looking at 150-something yards passing and three rushing touchdowns as this guy is, you know, the second coming? This is, this is Polynesian Peyton or whatever they're calling him now. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's – one, it's that he's been hopped up over the last two years – he was a five-star commitment. Then he was a five-star signee. Then he was a five-star starting quarterback in waiting. And then the entire season, it's been, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Tennessee fans waiting for Josh Hopper to pull the trigger and put him on the field in a meaningful portion of the game. And it finally happened, and he performed very well. Um, I mean, he can throw it. We saw him throw it. Um he can run it. His instincts as a runner, I think, is what uh, what was my biggest athletic takeaway. Um, I think you're going to see more quarterback runs in different ways next year. Joe Milton could run it. Joe Milton instinct looked to run. Uh, you saw uh, Nico's explosion on the uh, you know just that quick burst of speed that he has on the quarterback draw, which was the first touchdown. But the third touchdown, uh, you also saw it. You saw him sort of you know just fading to the left, to the left. It was a bootleg. He was looking to throw. And then once he got to about the six yard line, he sort of did that math in his head that all instinctive runners do. 
of I can get to that goal line before they can get to me. And you saw that out of him. And I think you're going to see a whole lot more of that next year, just a natural playmaker. So we saw all that. We, you know, we knew that he could do that in high school and we, you know, um, so that wasn't a shock, a shocker, but we did see it in person live against a, a really good defense. So I thought that was something. The bigger takeaway for me, aside from that, was his composure was really good. He was not overwhelmed. Um, I, I, I'm sure we'll get to it during this episode, but I don't think you would have necessarily seen that in him had he played, you know, in in September as much as he did in this game. I think it took a while to get there, but. I think naturally he's composed and naturally he's a guy that doesn't get overwhelmed by the moment. I think you see that more and more in this generation of five-star quarterbacks because they've been sort of on video and televised and all these things for years in high school, playing in all these all-star games and and all this sort of thing. So um, I I was observing him all through warmups and seeing how he was getting ready and he had the, the, the beats, the head headphones on, and sort of in his own world there, get, getting ready. This is like an hour and a half before the game. And Joe Milton came over to him and, you know, started joking around. You could see him kind of pushing around, get him to kind of loosen up. And Nico smiled through it and, and all that. But you could tell the body language was more like, Joe, this is this is serious. This is business. I saw a little bit more of a Hendon Hooker type demeanor from, from Nico than I did Joe Milton. And that's not a that's not a praise or slot to either one of those guys. But I think you'll see more serious business uh, approach from Nico than you will sort of joking around uh, Joe. Those things work for both of the quarterbacks. I think he's he's a little more Hendon than Joe in that way. And I think a lot of people will will probably saw a little bit of that in his play as well. Uh, Yeah. And and Adam has more credibility than I do in judging quarterbacks. He played the position in high school from what I've heard, was quite the thrower. Uh, threw a more catchable ball than Joe Milton, by the way. Uh, and so does Nico. Uh, yeah, when I when I watched that game, the main thing that impressed me it was the eye test. Uh, the composure, uh, the, uh, the cross-field throws on the line, easily, easily made. No straining, no wind-up. Ball just zipped to the receiver. Uh, and his running instincts, he's he's curl, clearly more composed and more intuitive than Joe Milton does. And when it comes to uh, deciding on quarterbacks, I think uh, uh, Josh Heupel's 0 for 2. Um, he was wrong about taking Joe Milton over Hendon Hooker and was proved wrong quickly. And I think Nico, and I'm not saying he should have started the first game, but maybe by October he could have been the quarterback, and I think Tennessee's offense might have been better. You could always make the argument, oh, what if he'd have got hurt? Well, that that's a possibility. So now you've got him intact going into next season, so that's a good thing. But at the very least, at the very least, I would have had a red zone package for Nico because his instinctive play on those touchdown runs, it wasn't just that he ran well. It was where he ran and when he made his cuts and just that intuitive thing playing the game that Joe Milton just doesn't have. And so I think he would have been a dynamic weapon in the red zone as a runner or passer, but we never got to see that. I guess we'll see it next year and we saw it in the bowl, that's for sure. Adam, I know you're going to have a rebuttal to to John here, So, but I want to have a 
uh, a segue or follow up on this point first. Uh, to John's point, Adam was, or, or excuse me, Tennessee was was not very good in the red zone this year. Their their touchdown percentage in red zone opportunities was pretty low. Their overall scoring percentage was in the bottom half of the country. So I like John's idea of well, maybe Nico couldn't have been the wire to wire starter this year, but could there have been more ways to incorporate him that would have helped the team? Now that would have come at the expense of a red shirt season. Does that matter or not? Well, it depends if, if Nico is still around in year five, but Adam, what do you think about this idea? And I suspect it's going in a different direction based on what I've read from you that Nico could have been or should have been the starter at some juncture of the season. And if not the starter, do you think John's right that Tennessee should have at least used him more than what it did before this bowl game? Yeah, I like the idea of the goal line package. Uh, I think that's sort of the meat in the middle between the two arguments. Um, I, you know, here's the thing. I, I think it should have been a goal line package. I think we can see his instincts, which we we both talked about. Had that happened, let's say they bring in a goal line package where you can use Nico's legs, and that would have worked, let's say, the Florida game, the South Carolina, the, the A&M game, probably those two, Florida game, A&M game, could have helped them in both uh, both times. Not even really goal line, but just short yardage, something where you could use his mobility. Had he shown that then in the first half of the season, then you maybe would get the the – the wheels turning a little bit more on Nico, maybe starting or playing every down. Um, then you would have more of a quarterback question, I think maybe in the last third of the season, but for him to just start um, just to say, Joe, you're not the starting quarterback. We're going to go with Nico from this point forward. And by the way, had they made that change or started Nico at the beginning of the year, there would be no going back. You don't start a five-star quarterback and then bench him. You've got to stick with him. And so my question is always with any fans that make this argument or John or anybody else, uh, uh, Gentry Estes, our, uh, our colleague in uh, Nashville, also thought, uh, also said that he thought Nico should have started uh, at least most of the season. I ask this, where in the schedule do you think the change should have happened? Because I think that's part of the problem when, we're met, when this argument is made by people in hindsight well, he should have just started like a month in the season or beginning of the season or somewhere in the season. My question is always where in the season would that have happened? Because I think when you when you look at it week to week, it's it's harder. Do you start him at Florida week three? Because um, to me, week three in Florida, I think the swamp would have swallowed him up the same way it did Joe. Now, maybe he had had a couple dynamic plays in that game. But Cooper Mays did not play that game. The offensive line was a mess. Um, Joe Milton was in first and 20 on all those drives because of penalties. Um, it was just – it was it, it was awful. And then Tennessee's defense was awful in that game. Um, you trot Nico out in that. I, I don't think – you don't get Citrus Bowl, Nico, if you're playing him in September in the Swamp. Uh, and everything that I'd, I'd seen a little of what we could see in practice – um, but also of what I was told, um, you know, Nico was not, he was not polished uh, early in the season in preseason camp. The parts that we would see in, uh, in camp is a lot of overthrows. I, I think I said that on the pod back then, a lot of overthrows, a lot of asking questions uh, to Joe Milton and to Joey Halsley. He wasn't ready. I think is, is my point. 
And I think maybe later in the season, you probably get diminishing returns out of Joe Milton. And maybe the question had a little more validity of, of going towards Nico later in the year. But Florida was too early to start him. Do you go South Carolina, the fifth game? Uh, they won that game by 21. Do you bench Joe Milton after that? I, I don't think so. Do you bench him at te- after Texas A&M? They won 20 to 13. Joe Milton was terrible in that game, passed for 100 yards. Okay, so you may say, okay, we've seen enough. Uh, switch him then. Well, the next week is at Alabama. So you, then you do you make Nico's first start at Alabama. I don't I don't see that. Okay, well then uh, a, a fan argued to me today. Once you get two losses, you were not going to win the SEC East. So that's when you make the switch. Okay, well that was at Kentucky. Uh, Joe Milton played his best game of the season um, at Kentucky. And Tennessee won what ended up being their best regular season win of the year. So then do you bench Joe Milton then after he's played his best game? Uh, because I thought the one that made sense was that next week at, uh, against UConn, and you go with Nico the last month of the season. But you'd be benching Joe Milton after going 17 of 20 and beating Kentucky on the road, and that was just weird. So I, I, I think it's harder to argue it that way. Um, but Coach, Coach Adams, uh, which – you go back in time. When do you start, Nico? Which week? I, I don't know if you even have to start him at this point if you just play meaningful snaps. If you go back, but I guess the I thought the time to do it and would have been after the Florida game. That was a bad Florida team. I know the game was in the swamp. I know the history. But Tennessee has a better team than Florida, and I know Cooper Mays didn't play. Tennessee needs to win that game, and it couldn't win it. So when I looked at that game, well, if you can't beat Florida, you're not beat. You sure aren't beating Alabama and Georgia. So that's when I would have gone the next week. I would have started him against uh, uh, Texas San Antonio, uh, UTSA, and then you got him against UTSA, South Carolina, before you face Texas A&M's pretty stout defense, which caused so many problems for Joe Milton. I don't think the results would have been any worse if you'd have played if you'd have played Nico then. And maybe would have overthrown, but receivers, like you said, there was a problem in practice. But I often look at guys with his kind of talent, and I think of them when they get in a game, they may be better than they were in practice. Uh, I've seen that with other players, and so you can, it depends on how you look at it. You can certainly look at it and say, well, the guy's a freshman. He's not ready for this. Or you can look at it like he might give us something extra that Joe Milton couldn't do against Florida in the swamp. So that would probably be when I would have given it a shot and see how it went. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, again, maybe the middle point here is if you couldn't have thread the thread of the needle and find a spot to transition to him as starter, I think we're in agreement that they probably, especially based off what we saw against Iowa, they probably could have found ways to use him more because if you're using the guy just in like short yarded situations or spot situations, he doesn't have to know the full system. He doesn't have all the pressures of being the starting quarterback. Um, now that would have meant burning his red shirt year. How important is that kind of depends on how his career goes from here forward. But I think a lot of this comes down to coaches in these situations, we've talked about this before, they tend to stick with the veteran unless something forces them to go in a different direction. I don't know if it ever got that dire 
for Tennessee this year. They, they felt their hand forced. Uh, I think Adam's got a point on there were, there weren't that many openings in the schedule that made sense to make a midseason change. I think you're right, John, to the extent that there was an opening, it was probably after week three, after the Florida game, you have three home games in a row, starting with UTSA and they could have made a change there. They didn't, they stuck with Nico. I think most coaches probably, or excuse me, they stuck with Milton. I think most coaches probably would have stuck with Milton, but um, I do wonder, and I, and I think we agree there probably would have been more ways that they could have used Nico to, to help this team. Does it change the record much? Probably not, but he's got a little more in-game preparation for next season. Although based on the Citrus Bowl, <laughs> maybe he didn't need additional in-game preparation to get ready for next year. That we The hype is, is now going to be soaring for Nico throughout the offseason. Uh, on SEC Football Unfiltered, the other podcast that John and I record, John put Nico at number two in his SEC quarterback power rankings for next season, just behind Carson Beck. So take that as a microcosm of the, uh, <laughs> the hype that's building for Nico, right? But I'm wondering, is there any downside, do you, do you guys think, to this hype? You know, months and months just building the Nico machine. Do you think that could backfire at all? Um, I'm thinking about after last year in the Orange Bowl, Joe Milton wins Orange Bowl MVP. I thought that, you know, really elevated where Tennessee was in the preseason rankings. There was even a little bit of long shot Joe Milton for Heisman talk in the preseason. I don't know that that affected Milton's performance. I tend to think it didn't. But do you guys think there's any pitfalls to maybe this offseason of hype for Tennessee and and Heisman, you know, Nico Heisman talk that's going to be coming? Well, I mean, if if the results are not good, I think you could things could turn against him, you know, a, a little stronger. I mean, you know, the higher you are, the the further the the farther you fall. I, I think you could get that a little bit because we're going to have months and months of, of this hop. Um, but it kind of had, had already started. You know, I was at an NIL event where Nico was signing autographs uh, like three weeks ago, and I was talking to a number of people that drove some of them two or three hours to get a photo and an autograph from Nico. Um, and I'll ask them like, what, why, why did you drive three hours? This kid has barely played. <laughs> and the answer that I would get was uh, he's, he's the greatest quarterback in college football. He <laughs> is, uh, you know, my dad met Peyton Manning in 1996 and now I'm meeting the next Peyton Manning and all these things. And, and what, why do you think he's great? Well, he just is. <laughs> and so it was already there. You know, it was already there. And so we're just adding layers on top of this. Uh, I mean, I think he's a really good quarterback. I think you, uh, you want to say he's uh, he's going to be, you know, the, one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC next year. I, I buy into that. Um, Carson Beck one, Nico two. I don't think that's far off because um, uh, he, he can really play. And I think he's going to be one of the more impactful players in the SEC next year. But – people already assume that he's that. And now that once they saw the Citrus Bowl, I think that just confirmed what they already believed. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, we could we could fall into a trap. I'm saying we, media fans, whatever, we could all fall into the trap that we did a year ago, which was Joe Milton won the Orange Bowl MVP. Now, we told people right after that, he threw for 250 yards. They had to punt like seven times. 
It was a good performance. It was not a great performance, but we spent the entire offseason saying he's the Orange Bowl MVP that beat Clemson. And there was not more context added on to that, or people scraped away the context the farther you got away from it. Um, right now, he's the Citrus Bowl MVP with three rushing touchdowns that were all like five yards or less. And he threw for what, a buck 51. It's a good performance. It was not a great performance. And it that you know it will it will get legendary status between now and September. And if it goes out and loses to NC State in Week Two, you know people will freak out because how could this guy lose to NC State? Well, NC State's a pretty good pretty good program, pretty good team right now. That'll be that'll be a tough game to win. If he goes to Oklahoma and loses, um, suddenly people will wonder how on earth that could happen. So I think we're we're all off season. I think the hype will build, um, and I think that's fair that it does that because he's he's really, really good. But I think we're also going to need to push back against it because he's made one start, and it was a good one. We'll see what he does in the second, third, fourth, fifth start, but we're going to have to wait so long for that to happen. I wonder, before Adam's first season as a starting quarterback in high school, if people were saying he could be the greatest ever. <laughs> I, I guarantee you no one was driving four hours to get a photograph with him other than maybe some relative who had moved away well, or something. <laughs> but, but see, Adam does make a big, uh, uh, a good point, and I'm guilty as charged. When I, my whole outlook for the 2023 season was based on I thought Joe Milton would be better than he was, and I based that mainly on his performance against Clemson a top 10 team. Uh, and yes, he, there were those three and outs, uh, but he also threw three touchdown passes and didn't make any mistakes. And the moment wasn't too big for him. So I thought all that was significant. And I put a lot of stock in that uh, probably too much. Uh, as far as Nico goes, see, I've been around here so long. I watched Peyton Manning's first start against Washington state in Neyland stadium in 94 he was a freshman, true freshman, and Tennessee won by a point against a really good Washington State defense. And uh, it wasn't because of defense, not because of Peyton. And so then in this game against Iowa, Iowa does have a good defense. Uh, probably not as good as its stats because it plays in a, a, a division, the west of the Big Ten, which is not offensive-minded uh, at all. Uh, but I, I still think it's a pretty solid defense. So I, I get, and I think with me, it wasn't, I'm like the playoff selection committee. I use different criteria for judging different players and teams. So with Nico, I didn't judge him by his stats. I judge him by the eye test. And that's why I think so much of him going forward. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction because if we look back at Joe Milton, Orange Bowl MVP, in the Orange Bowl, he threw for about 250, and and they won. If you look at this last year, um, he averaged uh, 234 passing yards per game. How much of those were inflated by junk opponents? Because uh, Hypo loves running up some stats against Joe. You know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you've seen Joe Milton enough, he throws for about 200 yards and two touchdowns. And he didn't throw picks. I mean, he, he threw 20 touchdowns and five picks. Um, that's a really good ratio. It's, I guess, what I'm saying is in the Orange Bowl, 
he was pretty good with it with a month to prepare he was he was good this season he was pretty good he was fine he wasn't great he wasn't terrible he was fine and uh and i think we look back on it and we thought maybe this is this is like the tip of the iceberg of something to come instead we were just seeing joe milton as a finished product like what he was in the orange bowl was as good as he was going to be um, the difference between him and Nico is this is on the front end. This isn't uh, this isn't fifth year Joe Milton going into his sixth year of college. This is Nico as a as a freshman going into his redshirt freshman year. And so I, I hear what John is saying. The big distinction between those guys are one of them's on the front end of his career. The other one is a finished product on the back end of his career. And because of that you can see the athletic abilities that Nico has and think, well, how much more could that be with experience? Uh, with Joe, it was this, this is it. What you see is what you get. Uh, let me, let me throw this pumping of the brakes at you guys though. I, I think Nico is going to be, I think odds favor he, him being a star. What does that mean? I don't think he's going to win 27 Heisman's, but I think uh, we all agree this guy's going to be a really good football player, but my devil's advocate moment here. I think Iowa stinks. Uh, we, we talk about how, well, they got a good defense in this, and I, I, I made that point a time or two. Let's look and see what they did against the three good to better than good opponents that they played this year. They lost to Penn State 31-0. to zero. Penn State does not have a world-beater offense. Uh, we, we saw that. Penn State's a good team, not a great team. Iowa loses 31-0. to zero. They lose to Michigan. 26 to 0. They lose to Tennessee 35 to 0. Like all all their defensive <laughs> stats are padded up by uh you know put, putting these iron curtain efforts together against the the likes of Illinois, Nebraska and Rutgers, right? Like I, I think this was like a, really a very average Iowa team. I mean a terrible offense, sure. But even their defense I think is inflated. Uh, based on what they did by a lot of the mediocre competition on their schedule. The, the good teams they faced, I mean, these were blowouts, 31-0, 26-0, 35-0. So I think Nico's going to be just fine next year. Um, however, my my tapping of the brakes would be, it's just Iowa. Yeah, it, it did look like, um, Iowa looked like South Carolina without an offense. That's what it looked like to me. Oh, that's a crushing uh, blow uh, on, on a neutral field at that. <laughs> um, so you didn't you didn't have to deal with any of the, any of the crowd or any of the atmosphere or anything. It's forty thousand people there is fine. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's a fair pushback uh, on him. Um, Iowa was, I mean, I know we're talking about defense, but that was the worst, absolute worst offense I have ever seen on a college football field. Just horrendous. Uh, Tyree West, the defensive end afterward, we we were talking to him, and he's never brought out to the media, and I can kind of see why Tennessee wouldn't do this, but he's he was good for us. And uh, he said, I thought it was a joke, that quarterback. <laughs> he said, I saw that quarterback on film, and I thought, well, this is a joke. And then we got out there, and no, it was real. It was a 270-pound quarterback, and he couldn't move or do anything. <laughs> he said, we what just, a great we just kept quote, hitting. huh? yeah. It was it was gargled a little bit. I'm putting it a little bit together. He also said Tyree West also said um, <laughs> I got a kick out of. Uh, I asked him what he thought about Nico's performance. He said 
He said, knowing that guy, we're going to the natty next year. Oh, boy. <laughs> I thought I may save you from this one and not publish he, that yet. Because oh, well, I want to talk to you again. And if I publish that, uh, somebody I'm sure did. But knowing him, I do like that. Knowing him, we're going to the As if Nico you know, knows the directions to the, to the natty, to the national championship. But um, I was talking to the Iowa media uh, headed into the game. And I said, how bad is this offense? <laughs> And they yeah. said, well, at during the open session, open media session of bowl practices at the Citrus Bowl at Orlando, they would get like 30 minutes to watch practice. Tennessee did not give that, but Iowa did. Um, the word was that Iowa's defense had to go base defense completely vanilla in the first 30 minutes of practice so that media could see the offense have some kind of success. So that they, they would complete passes because you've got TV crews out there. you got people videoing things and you have to see the offense completing a pass. And so the defense was supposed to be completely vanilla until the media left. That's how bad that offense was. Defensively, they were missing their best player, uh, defensive back, one of the best defensive backs in the country. And, uh, you know, I mean, I grew up watching SEC and thinking that Big Ten was like big, slow guys. Um, And that's – uh, and that's what nothing, you got. <laughs> and I saw nothing in that game to tell me otherwise. Michigan, Alabama told me differently, but the narrative is true. It's just uh, Michigan and Ohio State are the outliers. Michigan and Ohio State play like the SEC. They have athletes like the SEC. Teams like Iowa, uh, that's exactly what I thought the Big Ten would be. Big, slow guys um, that could not contend with Nico. And you don't have a lot of big, slow guys in the SEC. So, South Carolina without an offense. That's what I saw. And, you know, uh, so, I mean, you know, NC State is uh, NC State's defense and Iowa's defense. That'll be Nico's first big test in week two, NC State, at a neutral site. I I think this was probably a good indicator, a good warm-up for a game like that. NC State has a better offense, and they'll have a really good quarterback next year. But that defense is probably similar to what he saw against Iowa. Maybe you should – you should send that quote to Shane Beamer, South Carolina, to make him feel better. So, South Carolina, yeah, I, I, I like that quote. Uh, I do that. I mean, I've watched a procession of these bowl games now through the years with Tennessee matched up, how favorable the bowl arrangement has been, matching an SEC team against a Big Ten team. Because once you get past the upper echelon of the Big Ten, it drops off dramatically. So I've seen uh, Tennessee have to contend with the likes of Northwestern, uh, Indiana, and uh, a horrible Nebraska team without its number one quarterback and now Iowa twice. Uh, in fairness to Iowa, its starting quarterback was injured early in the year, and it has two pretty good tight ends. Yes. Both of them were injured. Uh, it looked like they were playing a tight end at quarterback. So, we, we, yeah, uh, where was he on the tight end depth chart? If you if you hear anybody projecting where Deacon Hill might go in the next draft, uh, shoot me a text. I'd be curious. Pro wrestling, I would say, <laughs> so it would be where he'd get drafted. <laughs> Poor Deacon. He he won't have the off season of hype that uh nico will john john's got him up up, up there on top and, of the and by the way we've got all off season to talk about this but if we want to talk about off season hype and how great a player can be and we're bringing up who was hitting deacon hill all day 
James Pierce is the hype guy right now. James Pierce looked like uh, looked like Lawrence Taylor. Um, I mean, the 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 pick six that he had that will be on uh, every highlight reel that every NFL scout is going to look at um, because we, we we knew he could rush off the edge. He's, he's super fast off the edge. Late in the season, you saw them use more stunts and twists that would put him in the middle of the rush, where he has he has deceptive strength. Um, and then you see him drop into coverage, standing up and and, and dropping into coverage, uh, sort of Michael Parsons like. Dropped into coverage, got a pick six, has good hands, took off running. Uh, that guy. Um, if you tell me that Tennessee has an SEC Player of the Year next year, it's not Nico. It's James Pierce. Um, that's that, that that's the guy that I can't wait to see as much as Nico. I can't wait to see that. And you know, Tennessee's got he. They lost Tyler Barron in the portal, but James Pierce looks phenomenal. Um, jo- uh, uh, Joshua Josephs, the other edge rusher that came in that same class, looks really good. Tyree West had the best game of his career. He he will move into Tyler Barron's spot. He also came out of that same class. All three guys I just named came out of the same recruiting class two years ago. Um, he'll be at the strong side defensive end. So you got three young edge rusher defensive end guys that are all under the tutelage of Rodney Garner, the D-line coach that just pumps out NFL D-linemen. You've got those guys. You've got uh, David Hobbs and uh, Tyler Weathersby, who are really good good freshman D linemen that we haven't really seen yet. One of them's injured. The other one barely played this year. They will be on that defensive line next year. And, oh, by the way, you just signed a five-star edge rusher in Jordan Ross. The You could easily see this narrative start to switch next year to Tennessee, not the number one offense in the country. Tennessee, one of the more electric pass-rushing defenses in the country, and oh, by the way, they have a five-star quarterback on the other side. I see more balance in this team next year. We saw balance this year, but in a different way. The offense just, you know, came back down to earth. I could see both being really good next year, which which makes you think a playoff is at least possible. I'm not predicting that, but you could see if both of those sides come together, James Pierce on defense, Nico on offense, you know, 10 wins isn't ridiculous. James Pierce looked like a wide receiver just flying down the sideline. I I think on that one play you hit on it. I mean that's, I mean that that made him money uh, yes. with the NFL to see that kind of speed in the course of a football game. Uh, I think Omari Thomas a really good player too. So, but you know with the balance this year, when you go back to the first part of the year, the defense was dominant. What happened was it leveled off when the opponents, when the opposition uh, uh, became better. Uh, but early on, it was looked like a dominant defense. So maybe next year, we won't see as much leveling off, and it will be better. I think that's the key to be better against better teams. All right. Well, with uh, Nico at quarterback and the modern-day Lawrence Taylor out there, I uh, expect to see the Vols number one in some preseason polls. But uh, no, in seriousness, we will we will continue to monitor some of the uh, the offseason dialogue here in the weeks to come. Of course, it's a it's kind of a 24-7, 365 cycle in this age of college football. Uh, Adam and John will continue uh, to have all the coverage over at knoxnews.com. And we will be with you throughout the offseason here on the Volunteer State. Thanks for listening.
just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.